This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning. You're here live with Dr. Jeff, host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the vets with Dr. Jeff to do talk about pets. Uh, pretty easy. And in order to talk about pets, I'm, I'm always ready to talk, but we want to hear from you as well. So I'll give you a couple of easy ways to do it. Number one, toll free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, you can join us live on Google Hangouts. Just go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, and scroll down and you will see a, a link for Google Hangouts where you can join us live. We can see you. You can see me. We can see, hopefully, your pet or pets if you can have a big enough screen to, to hold them all or a big enough lap. And um, anyway, we can ask, uh, talk about anything you want. I always come somewhat prepared because I have a lot of shy listeners out there, but um, you shouldn't be. I want to thank our sponsors, Save This Life, Microchip, and Bravecto, 12-week flea and tick protection, more than a cone, raising awareness, animal welfare through the arts. And um, anyway, just uh, you know, hope you're having a great weekend. I certainly am. Here in L.A., just to make you a little sick, maybe, I don't know, depending on where you're from, but in the last couple of days, it's been in the mid to high 90s. Today, interestingly, there was like an instant 15-degree drop. So we're only going to be in the mid-70s. I know you're getting your violins out. You're so upset for us. I hope you there in the Gulf Coast and the southeast are drying out from the hurricanes and tropical storms. As I always like to do, start the show off, maybe this will, something I talk about will stimulate a little interest to get you guys to pick up the phone, 877-385-8882. Or if you're listening online, just join us online. It's that easy. So um, anyway, I always like to go through some of the pet and vet websites just to see what's kind of new in the news. And um, this was no surprise to me, but it might be to some of you that scientific research is the key to improving animal health and welfare. And not only for us, but it also helps the human research. So medical discoveries made by veterinary teams in the veterinary science research centers, the universities, for example, the pharmaceutical companies, that can not only help save lives for animals, but for people as well. It's gotten to the point where there are so many similarities in the medications used, in the techniques that each are adopting and adapting some of the techniques and medications from one proven success to the other. So it's no longer is animals are being used for testing and then it goes to humans. No, our veterinary schools laboratories, pharmaceutical companies that are testing medications on animals for animals are making such amazing discoveries in the lab as far as gene and DNA and the mechanisms of actions of these medications. They are then applying them to people and vice versa. For example, the classic example is the similarities between FIV, feline immunodeficiency virus, and HIV. And so the belief is that whichever group or groups come up 
with a vaccine for one, they probably will be able to apply the same science and technology to the other. And that makes it really cool. So veterinarians are no longer that second-class citizen. There is so many, so many advances being made on a regular basis that even things that are researched at the veterinary level can actually come in and help people, humans as well. And I, I just think it's cool that it's finally being recognized because we're the first in many areas as far as things that we've done to help people, drugs that we use, techniques that we use. And now they're realizing, oh, my God, that's pretty cool. We should do that for people as well. So here's another one that the Navy obviously works with uh, marine mammals as well, and they train dolphins. Well, there is a type of porpoise that is called the vaquita porpoises, and they're common in Mexico, and they believe there are only, get this, 30 left in the world. So what they're doing now is they're training dolphins to locate these porpoises using their sonar, and um, basically they're going to try to capture them and start setting up selective breeding programs to help multiply these animals, these porpoises that are near extinction. It's amazing when you think about it, that they're going to use another animal to help locate an animal, a like animal, a relative, if you will. And uh, they feel that that is sort of less invasive and less stressful to the vaquita porpoises because they're just swimming and being worked with other mammals, other porpoises. I think that's pretty cool. Other dolphins. Something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and it, you know, it's interesting because it's coming out again in one of the news sites, is that you look at dog food labels. Do you really know what is good and what isn't good? And the answer is, I would imagine, unless you're a nutritionist yourself or another veterinarian or a veterinary technician, you probably don't have any idea. But some of the buzzwords that you probably do recognize, things like gluten-free and non-GMO and using pumpkin and coconut and quinoa. So you go, oh my God, that's that's what I take. That's good for me. So it's got to be good for my pets. And what we're seeing is a lot of the pet food retailers are using those buzz terms and ingredients to help sell their product where there's really no proven benefit to the pets. But because they're the pets aren't buying the food, if it was up to a pet, they say, no, give me that meat and all, and all the stuff that's inside and all those byproducts. I love that stuff, but they're not buying it. You're buying it. So when you see terms like that, that turn you on, that get you excited, that you want to eat more natural things and more fiber and all these things that your doctors and the media is telling you to do, you are translating that into your pets. And so it's interesting to see now. And just to note that so far, at least scientifically, there's no proven benefit to these. And I know there are certain circumstances, but yes, I, I like to add fiber. If I, if I have a dog that has a, an acute colitis of the large bowel, how do I know? Because the dog is still happy, alert, playful, active, and eating, but the stool has mucus and sometimes red blood. All right, so it's a mucusy, bloody stool. That's just an inflammation of the colon we call colitis. And we do know that adding fiber to the diet often helps. So yes, I'll tell people to add some bran or bran flakes, but no raisin bran, of course, canned um, pumpkin or cooked yams or anything like that. And uh, that will sort of help soothe and allow the colon to heal. And, um, and, you know, instead, before I start running to medications, there are some medications that are very effective. And sometimes I go to them, if just the fiber alone doesn't help, then yes, I'll add a little metronidazole, basically flagell. But, you know, is it are probiotics and fiber diets necessary for the normal dog who's having not having a problem? You know, again, empirically, you'd say, no, it's not going to hurt. For sure, it's not going to hurt. There's a new product out there, for example, that I really, really, really like. 
It's called Wagtricious. Like instead of it, nutritious, it's Wagtricious. Look it up online. So basically, the story behind this is, and I'm going to you know, give a shameless plug to a very, very good friend and dear colleague of mine, Dr. Edward Moser. He is a board-certified veterinary nutritionist. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means after the four years of veterinary school, he did his residency in nutrition. And at the end, you to sit for your boards, and you pass your boards, and you become a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Nutrition called the ACVN. Clearly, it's not a very popular discipline, and there are a handful. I don't know, maybe 40, 50, I don't know, whatever it is. It's not like surgery or medicine where you got thousands in the country. So um, when I ever have a question about nutrition, of course, I'm going to go to my friend. I'm going to go to call Ed and say, Ed, what, what do I answer this? How do I answer? What do we need? What? And one of the things that so many people want to do, and I'm sure many of you out there are some of these people, you look at the ingredients of, of a, an ingredient deck and you have all these vitamins. How do you do that? Just by adding, making home foods. And the, the answer is, I don't really know. I'm not a nutritionist, but I will call Dr. Mosier. So what he did was part of the things is because I've been teasing about doing this. He created some basic supplements, powders called Wagtricious. He's got a, a line of multivitamins. He's got a, a line of super minerals, which should be given to any dog, every dog who is eating a home cooked meal or is possibly not eating foods that are certified by the AFCO. It'll take anything you feed them and bring it up to snuff. It'll bring them up to the standards of AFCO as far as the 26 essential vitamins, minerals, whatever it is. Then he has other products. And these are either is a balanced supplement of the glucosamine and MSM, chondroitin, all the things that you need for joints. So any older dog would benefit tremendously by using Flex. And one packet's are good for like two months. So it's so cost-effective. The fiber, obviously, is a really blend of healthy fibers that can help your gastrointestinal tract, colon health, etc. And lastly, the biotics, which is good and probiotics and prebiotics. And again, things that, names that you would recognize, but they are extremely cost-effective. Uh, you can find this stuff online. And um, anyway, it's really good stuff. So if you have any problems, if your animals are having any issues with what appears to be unhealthy. They're not, they don't have that energy. They're not up to par when it comes to their joints. So you have an older, large breed dog that's starting to slowing down. Think about Trish's because I, I will tell you, I know this guy, I trust this guy, and it really does help you. So now with reckless abandon, if you want to feed home cooked meal, you want to, you know, take some of your, you know, cook up some chicken or, or steak or beef or, or bison or veal, whatever it is you want to feed and you want to make it nutritionally sound and complete, then now you can do it easily at home. So uh, anyway, just cautious when you read those labels that understand, I mean, you can still do it, but understand, don't kid yourself that you're doing it more because of you and possibly less so because of your vet. Let's see, exercise. This is for us, and uh, it can help prevent depression. Studies show that adults who don't exercise had a 44% greater chance of becoming depressed than adults, and get this, who exercise at least one hour a week. One hour a week. Tell me who of you out there cannot give one hour to exercise. Just set it aside, and um, I think that yeah, that's very easy. It's an easy devotion to devote one hour a week to exercise. Um, hopefully, most of us are doing more than that. But if you want to try to avoid clinical depression, there's your answer. 
Here's one. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's getting worse. Now, the count is up 55 cases of people with Campylobacter bacteria that they believe got it from pups. It's transmitted through pups. And the common ground were these puppies that were sold at some of the Petland stores across the country. Now, I needn't tell you. I'm sure you know it already. If you don't, I will confirm that still the pet shops out there, especially the pet shops in malls that are out there still selling pups, they're outlawed in California. We don't see them at all anymore. And I'm sure many states have outlawed them. But those that still have them, don't kid yourself. These dogs are not being bred in great breeding situations by legitimate, honest breeders. They are being bred in mass in puppy mills across the mostly Midwest. And um, so no doubt, no surprise that some of these pets are not the healthiest. So recommendations, if you are going to buy pets from pets, and don't get me wrong, I've treated a zillion of cute, adorable pets. One of my dogs, I used to check animals for a, a local mall pet shop 20 some odd years ago. And um, it was a cute story. They lost their lease. So I used to go with my kids on Sunday to check the animals. And I walk into the store and it's like the shelves are empty. So I said, well, guys, what's going on? They go, oh, I thought you knew. We, we lost our lease. Next week is our last week. I mean, our last day. Next Sunday, we close after next Sunday. So anyway, their, their inventory of puppies and kittens was down to like five dogs. And one of them was this little cute rat terrier. And my kids were bugging me, dad, let's get this dog. I, meanwhile, come on, really? I already had four dogs at home. I only have a California king. I can only fit so many dogs and cats in the bed. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I thought this was safe. I said, if the dog is still there next week, then we'll take it. I figured that made them happy. And of course, I'm figuring there's no way this dog's going to be here in a whole week, right? So anyway, the following Sunday, we walk in the store. Now the shelves are like really empty. And there is one dog left in the store. And who was it? My little rat terrier. So sure enough, we took her and it turned out to be one of the best dogs I've ever had. And oh God, she was so cute. And even though my other dogs were big, I had two Labradors at the time and she was the boss. It was unbelievable. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's little Millie. So she lived like almost yeah, 17 years. Just to say, yes, these dogs can be great as well, but their breeding, their histories are somewhat suspect. It makes me a little nervous. So uh, if you can avoid buying uh, pets from a pet shop, as I always say, adopt, don't shop. And um, more and more pets presenting with resistance. We're seeing resistant skin bacteria, staph epidermis, and pseudostaph intermedius. Then they have pseudomonas for ear infections. We have enterococcus and salmonella from GI and, and the urinary tract. So we're seeing more and more of these bugs are resistant to our standard antibiotics. Why? Because the inappropriate use of antibiotics, either starting and stopping too, too short, maybe after only three days. So who's left after three days? Obviously, the weaker one died within the first three days. The stronger ones are left to breed and they'd multiply. Then also issues with using antibiotics prophylactically. At times, you really don't need to. So it's really up to the veterinarian to educate clients. And for the veterinarian, him or herself, when to use an antibiotic and when not. Just because you do something, if it's a sterile procedure and everything is fine, don't send them home on antibiotics. There's no reason. I mean, my bacteriology professor at UC Davis, of course, long gone, he used to say he wanted a culture don't ever start an antibiotic without culturing first. But again, when you get to general practice, that's kind of impractical. So I get it. But we have to use our better experience, use better judgment, etc. Anyway, we're about that time of the show. We have to take a quick break, which will be a quick break. So don't go away. We're back from our sponsors and we'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. 
As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, he scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks, the shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days and... Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. If your dog has shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff here at Pet Life Radio. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. Um, and um, one of the things I, I had a case this week that I wanted to share only because it, it brings an important piece of information that I think all of you should be aware of. And that is, when should you worry? When are things uh, getting to the point where you should be concerned about whether or not you could take in? I, I am the, the master of conservative when it comes to treating animals. I don't panic I guess that comes from just years and years and years of doing this. And um, I always say the mixture of knowledge and experience brings you wisdom. So I'm not one. I really like to ask the right questions and, and know the patient and really decide, wait a second, is this something I have to worry about? And often I ask myself, not what it could be, but based on the questions I ask in the clinical science, what it probably can't be. And I'm more comfortable knowing what it can't be than what it is, because if I can rule out the bad things... I just think it can't be that because X, Y, Z, then I'm a little less worried. So a good client comes in. She has a dog who's, believe it or not, close to 18, but she has other animals as well. And um, she calls me the other day. I was not in the office, but my associates were, that her little four, almost five-year-old dog, five in December, so almost five, was very weak, very depressed, not eating. And I asked her, a little dog too, like a Yorkie Chihuahua mix, so I'm a little bit concerned because they can't go very long without eating. I said, how long is it going on? She goes, well, it's been about five days. And I'm thinking, five days? That's a long time. So I said, I asked her how the stool, and obviously not having a lot of stool, but it was very watery. And one thing I always like to check, I asked her to lift up the lips and tell me what color the gums were. And she goes, the gums were like very pale, almost white. Well, <laughs> you can't have a little teeny dog, right, who's gone five days without eating and the gums are white and think that's okay. So, you know, small breeds. I mean, I, I like to know if they don't go for a, a day and a half, max two days without eating, I'm already concerned. So some of the criteria you should look for, and these are the things that you should just learn. If a dog, for example, out of the blue, vomits, 
or has diarrhea and yet still wants to eat, still playful, is having bowel movements. I'm not that worried. All of us are going to spit up at some point. Cats do it from hairballs regularly. And you have to look. It's like I don't treat the one symptom. I kind of look at the pet in front of me and see how how is everything else. And like I said, I had a dog who was a bulldog that also was vomiting, had very scant feces, and but was going days, eating totally fine. So anyway, one night in the middle of the night, she took her to an emergency, didn't call me until she already got to the emergency, and then calls me to tell me what's going on. And they wanted to cut the dog open. I go, whoa, 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 time out, time out. First of all, the dog is seven. I think by seven years of age, you're going to know your dog's behavior fairly well. So I asked her, I said, first of all, you're telling me the dog's still been eating for all these days and not vomiting? She goes, correct. And just having some soft, mushy, watery stool. And I said, well, okay, so what would be the main reason to cut a dog open would be because of a foreign body, an obstruction. But I asked myself, what is the likelihood that a, a dog is going to eat for five days with an obstruction and not vomit after that very first time? And the answer, little to no, almost impossible. So I said, do they take an x-ray? Is there a gas pack? Can they see it? No, they couldn't see anything. There were some questionable areas of gas. I said, you know what? Have them take a picture of the picture of the x-ray and send it to me. So I look at the x-ray and I said, no, there is nothing right now that I see that would indicate taking this dog who does not in the habit of eating things, inanimate objects, for example, toys, and cutting this dog open. I said, let's just treat symptomatically. Let's give it IV fluids and you can give it an injection just to settle the stomach. Let's see what happens. So anyway, another day goes by. Now this was done at night. And at night, even though it's an emergency specialty facility, who is manning the show at night? It's the guy who graduated vet school in May. So I said, you know what? Wait till someone comes in. So they want to do an ultrasound. And this guy did not do an ultrasound. So they do an ultrasound. And I'm talking to now one of the clinicians the next day. And I tell her, you know, the likelihood of this dog having being obstructed and not vomiting is almost zero. So either it's just a, an inflammation. Now we could have a partial obstruction where some stuff is getting through, but not enough to cause a backup. I, I could buy that, a diverticulum, a, a, an inflammation, uh, maybe a, a string form, something that doesn't actually occlude completely, but can cause some irritation. But the dog was still eating. How bad could it feel if he's still eating? And the bloods were normal. I just, I, I just wasn't buying it. So turns out, that one of the things that the radiologist who looks at the ultrasound, who agrees with me, says, no, the reason why the dog had the gas pattern is we find out from the history elsewhere when the dog was very young, before I even saw it as a patient, it had a spleen removed. And when they were in there, because she's a female, you got to open up the belly to take out the spleen, male or female. They figured even though bulldogs are not necessarily known to bloat, but why don't we do a pexy? Meaning, as I talked about before during spays, especially in big breeds, to tacking the stomach to the body wall. So the reason why the, the x-rays looked a little funky with that little couple of gas pockets is just because the bowels were sort of stuck or held up against that area where the stomach is attached to the body wall. So it caused a little gas. And uh, P.S. Long story short, this dog still was not vomiting. A day later, went home and has been fine ever since. So, you know, you have to be very, very cautious. I don't like people panicking. You know, always just don't look at the one symptom, the diarrhea, the vomiting, the limping. I mean, I want to know how many of you, right? Let's say you turn an ankle, all right? You're, you miss the step and you're sore for a couple of days. How many of you run to the orthopedic surgeon for x-rays and a cast? Of course not. I mean, now, if you felt really, really badly and you can't put any weight on the foot and you suspect such a severe sprain or break, yes, that's okay. No different for pets. Don't think you have to rush in 
especially after hours, to an emergency for things like an episode of diarrhea, a vomiting, a cherry eye, even a bite, a dog fight. You know, wash it up. If, unless there's a huge piece of skin that's flapped and open up and it's bleeding terribly, you can just clean things up if it's just some puncture wounds. And as I mentioned to people anyway, when you have a bite wound and there's only minor damage, we're not going to sew it up anyway. We're going to clean it, treat with antibiotics, because what we don't want is an abscess to form under a freshly sutured laceration from a bite. We want it to be open. We want it to drain. So the last thing we're going to do is sew up the skin. Uh, likewise, a dog that's you know bruised or is in an accident or, or even a, a hit by car. Of course, we want you to take a dog in that's hit by a car, but not to repair any broken bones, because guess what? That's the last thing we're going to worry about. First thing, we're going to worry about any internal damage. We're going to make sure the spleen is not ruptured. We're going to make sure the diaphragm is intact. We're going to make sure the, the bladder is not ruptured. And only then, after a pet is stable, are we going to actually repair. So many of these things are not emergencies. So I, I want you to know to worry is the following. If you have any kind of problem, whether it's vomiting, diarrhea, limping, that is going on for more than three days, if the dog stops eating or cats stops eating, especially cats, cats will get fatty liver syndrome if they go more than two, three days max without eating. A dog, as long as it's drinking, can probably go five days. But if it's a really small dog like this Chihuahua uh, Yorkie, then no, that's too long. So you have to just use your better judgment. A couple of the tricks that you can do, not only looking at the gum color, but when you lift the lip, I want you to tap the gums with your finger. If they are bone dry, like sticky, then the animal is dehydrated. That means you should probably take your pet in to have it examined. Another thing you can do is, you know, like you scruff a cat, you can pick a cat up. Well, you can take the skin at the back of the neck, dog or cat, pinch it and lift it. When you let go, if it drops down so fast that you can't even actually see where you tented it up from, then chances are hydration is okay. But if you try to lift the skin, you lift it up, you let go, and it stays there like a little mountain, right? Then that pet is dehydrated. Time to get in to see your veterinarian. So persistent problems, problems causing dehydration, pale mucous membranes, those are the times you need to have addressed immediately. If you have a dog that has a problem, your basic issue, but is doing fine, it's still pooping and it's still eating and it still wants to play and it's wagging its tail, you look at the energy, you look at the, the attitude, then chances are this is not something you have to rush into. Treat with common sense the same day you would do yourself. Same thing, and that is if it's vomiting, hold off food for a little bit. One thing also you should know, that when dogs start vomiting, even if it's for something that's not important, the stomach goes through like changes and becomes very irritated. So even something as benign as water going into that stomach and stretching the stomach might induce vomiting again. So when they start vomiting or vomited more than once, what you should do is no food, just put a couple of ice cubes in their water bowl. Because that way, as the ice melts, they can drink water, but they're only getting small amounts at a time. They can't get enough to stretch the stomach. And do that for a day or so. And if the dog goes 24 hours without vomiting, then you can start small amounts of food. Don't give a regular meal. Use common sense, small amounts at a time. If it eats, fantastic. You should feel great. Goes, if it does not vomit, then an hour or two later, give a little bit more. Hour or two later, give more. Slowly, gradually get them back onto the routine. If, however, that you've done great and now you feed them for the first time just a little bit of food, it's a good sign that they eat, but then they vomit again, time to see your veterinary. 
Anyway, if you have any questions about this kind of stuff, please get a hold of me. Call your veterinarian. You can reach me at drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. And uh, I will you know, give you my phone number. We can talk about it. But I don't want you guys panicking. I don't want you wasting, spending unnecessary money. But I want you to know when you need to panic and take care of your pets. Anyway, thanks for joining me here. Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets. Once again, thanks to Brevecto. Save this life and more than a cone. And um, stay tuned. We will see you here next week. We may have a very important guest I'm trying to get. I don't want to tease you yet, but maybe we'll tease you online once I confirm. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. And uh, Dr. Jeff signing out. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.